everybody, and welcome to another episode of Motorsport Experience Podcast. Um, this podcast is designed to share the love of riding and to share inspiration that we get from riding or motorsports, any kind of motorsports. And in this episode, we're here with Stephanie. Um, I will let her introduce herself, but she's an awesome rider, and we'll go from there. So, Stephanie, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi there, I'm Stephanie Yankovic, and uh, I, uh, I'm an awesome rider. I love the introduction, Pauline. Thank you so much. I don't know if awesome is the right word, but uh, uh, I'm certainly a passionate rider and uh, try my hardest. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm located here in Toronto, and uh, I'm a, a full-time registered massage therapist, and I do that to support my dirt bike habit. And uh, yeah, try and, and ride as much as possible uh, here in Ontario and also in the U.S. when we can. And uh, yeah, that's me. That's uh, pretty much anybody who rides is an awesome rider in my books. I ride on the street for now, haven't been able to make it to the trail yet. But whoever is riding, it's not really a habit. It's kind of an addiction. We have a yeah. bug for riding. So this is kind of uh, how it goes. So I want to go over a couple of events that you recently did. I met you first at the Dakar 24-hour endurance rally, which was insane and awesome. And then you also did the next uh, weekend rally somewhere else. So maybe we can look at those experiences and see what they were like for you. And um, just how did you get into riding in the first place and uh, the rally, the Dakar rally itself? Uh, so I started riding when I met my partner, Ian Peters, uh, almost 10 years ago, and uh, he got me involved in the sport. Um, I had uh, my motorcycle license, but I didn't have a, a street bike. So I had gotten my license just because I was interested in, in my uh, my late 30s, and I had borrowed a friend's bike, um, you know, periodically, um, but I wasn't a rider. And uh, ironically, I met Ian the month that my license expired. And uh, so uh, he took me out one day. He was working on the corduroy enduro cutting or um, uh, cleaning up some trails for that uh, that race in the fall. And uh, he had a little Honda 100. And while he was uh, clearing trail, he said, why don't you go ride? And we were in Somerville Forest at the time. Um, and so off I went. And I think it was at, at the same time, both the most exhilarating and the most terrifying experience I'd ever had, um, but I was hooked quite quite quickly. Um, and uh, and for the first couple of years, I didn't ride a ton. We'd ride, you know, every couple of weeks. Um, and then once I got uh, a little more um, competent, um, I we started to ride more and more. And I think now he would claim that he created a monster. He's probably regretting his choice of introducing me to the sport, especially after events like the Dacre and uh, the Northeast 24 hour, because of course he was very generous to give up his ride and be my pit crew for those events. So he has to do all the hard work, but doesn't get any of the glory for either of those events. Um, but yeah, he introduced me to the sport and uh, I'm forever grateful. Um, he's also my my mechanic, and I always joke my Sherpa, um, and that's actually uh, what made this uh, the Dacre in particular such an interesting event for me because I um, I haven't ever ridden alone. Um, you know, it's not something I, I encourage people to do. Um, a lot of the the enjoyment I get from riding is the social aspect of it, and getting to ride with with friends. And uh, um, so for me, um, that was a part of the challenge was to do a solo endeavor and to do one that was that sustained for, for such a long period of time. Um, and I'm actually gonna blame John Boisvenu with uh, Valley Rally Enduro for actually getting me uh, to the Dacre because I had decided 
um, maybe over last winter that I'd be very interested in doing the Dacre. It's always been on my radar, uh, but I hadn't considered riding it solo. I thought of maybe doing it with Ian before. I don't know what his interest level was though in that. And uh, we went up to Sunny Hill Resort and uh, over New Year's and hung out with the Valley Rally guys. And I was doing a podcast with Laura Penwell um, with Rally Connects and myself. And uh, John Boisvenu called me out and <laughs> said, are you going to be doing the Dacre? And I, I hadn't been prepared to announce that I was going to do the Dacre because then you're committed. Um, and he called me out. So I had to agree at that point, you know, spur of the moment to do it. And so actually he was probably responsible for for getting me to to commit at that point in time. Um, and then there was no looking back. I had no choice. So that's pretty exciting. I, I keep thinking of the quote. Um, it's in the moment of it's in the moment of decision that the destiny is made or something like that. And uh, it really makes a point to to mention that we have to make decisions often on the spot for the experience that we have no idea how they're going to turn out. But most of the time they turn out amazing because we made that decision. So that is very exciting. And uh, I remember seeing um, Ian come in after you because you came pretty late at night. And <laughs> it was incredible to see that the, like one of the reasons why you were able to do the whole thing, I think, is because you had that support uh, person. How was it? What was it like for you? Because the thing started at 4 a.m. in the morning and you came, I think, for yeah, you came uh, 30 seconds before the cutoff day time. Yep, it uh, it was long. I had um, I had anticipated riding about 20 hours, um, and I had kind of thought that that would be the maximum um, because you don't get the route files until the day of the event or the you know the afternoon of the event. Um, you really don't know what your total distance is going to be. You don't know what the course is going to be. Um, so it, it's not only physically and mentally challenging just to be riding for that period of time, but um, I have to tell you that the probably one of the biggest challenges was managing my anxiety for like the the six months leading up to this event <laughs> because you know for me it it's GPS guided and I don't often ride with a GPS. So that was a whole another level of complexity that I had to to try and navigate, no pun intended. Um, and uh, and not knowing your route, um, I like to be prepared. I, you know, I, I think I'm flexible, but you know what? Surprises aren't always awesome. So um, that was quite challenging. And then to to be able to coordinate that with my with Ian with my my check crew or you know solo check crew, um, I relied a lot on him and I kind of left it up to him um, to decide how he wanted to to handle that and I I said I'd like to see him at all the checkpoints. Um, I also wasn't sure how far my my bike would go on a tank of gas, so um, you know in preparation I I carried uh, gas with me. We tried to capitalize on that, so I was. I, I can't tell you um, how motivating it was because um, a lot of the sections that Lee, uh, you know, laid out were quite long. Like the first one was 118 kilometers, which for many is a normal full day ride, right? And uh, I did actually have to use one of my gas canisters on that first section uh, in the morning. Um, but to be able to, what Ian tried to do was um, when there was an opportunity to meet me um, halfway through a, a check section, um, when some of the trail crossed a road, for example, um, I would come out of the woods and the van would just be there. And um, he just, he, 
I don't think I even had any expectations, but he blew me away with how organized he was. You know, there was food there waiting for me. I was able to get my bike gas, my hydration pack refilled um, so that I could try and and uh, ride as quickly as possible and check, you know, and gas as quickly as possible and get back on the road. Because I did know the challenge for me, um, I'm not the fastest rider. You know, we we were told about a, the cutoff point um, at about seven o'clock at night. There's a check. I forget which check it was, whether it was maybe seven or eight um, and that you had to make that by seven o'clock. So, you know, keep the wheels rolling, uh, keep moving. And um, I didn't anticipate the challenge of the section leading up to that check. Um, and I saw the clock creeping, creeping, creeping. Um, and I think I rolled into that check at about 6.42. I remember distinctly. <laughs> and uh, I saw Owen Chapman's dad there and uh, was so happy to see him and know that I'd, I'd made that deadline. And then I found out that Lee extended that deadline by about 30 minutes. So, um, but at that point, I started to feel more pressure about getting the race or the event completed uh, within the 24-hour window. So uh, as you, you stated, I came down to the wire um, I would have been heartbroken if I had come in a minute later um, and been cut off. But uh, but you know what? We started in waves, so I didn't actually start until sometime after 4 a.m. So I was I had I was ready <laughs> to defend, <laughs> you know that. But uh, I'm just really pleased to have finished and uh, uh, and made it just under the wire. And yeah, and I, but I couldn't have done it without Ian. It, it was just uh, the the emotional support that I would have. You know, because because I did the ride on my own, you know, like you're you're out there by yourself and which is is both um, empowering and exhilarating and and frightening at times um, if you think too hard about how alone you are. Um, and so uh, it was really wonderful to see him um, at the, the surprise opportunities that we could find along the way. Um, so, yeah, I couldn't um, have done it without. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a dream partner. Absolutely. Yeah. To have that type of support on this long of a journey, absolutely. And um, so you mentioned that you had anxiety six months before. Did you have any, <laughs> did you do anything about it or did you just kind of roll through the waves of it and just kind of waited it out? Um, no, I actually actively tried to um, uh, to manage it. Um, so um, I don't consider myself an anxious person, um, but uh, I, I, my controlling qualities probably <laughs> mean that I, you know, I, I, I need to better manage my stress around these things. And I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, to, to do well. And, uh, and, and so with this event, though, it was a complete unknown for me. So I hadn't ridden it before. I knew how challenging it was. I knew riders that have both successfully completed it and who haven't successfully completed it. And so um, going back to a point you made earlier, when I make decisions, I sometimes just say yes. That sort of one of my, my mantras is say yes, and then figure out how you're going to make that happen. Um, because I don't want to uh, not do things because of anxiety or fear waiting for the right opportunity because that right opportunity will never come along. You have to, to make that opportunity. So um, whether it's racing that I do, uh, you know, here in Ontario, um, whether it's, you know, uh, challenging work-related stuff or uh, an event like this, um, I tend to obsess and, and get anxious about it leading up to the event. And sometimes that's, you know, a week before. And a lot of the time, though, like this one, it's a, it's a long time before. So um, a lot of my preparation and and the challenge around this event was mental preparation. Um, and so, you know, I'm a big fan of reading, you know, coaching books and performance 
uh, books. Um, so I read a lot about, um, you know, having a like a winning attitude and how to overcome that kind of, you know, performance anxiety, that sort of thing. Um, and so that I found very helpful. Um, it doesn't uh, get rid of the anxiety, but it helps to make it manageable so that I'm not uh, wasting that energy being concerned about that when I could be putting that energy into something that's more practical. Um, and that also very much carried through the actual event itself. Um, you know, I, I, I needed to ride uh, conservatively. Um, that doesn't mean slow. I, I had to keep moving and, and probably push myself to move faster than I normally would have. Um, but be conservative in in the the risks that I took because you're by yourself. And, um, you know, I, I feel that that's something that I managed quite well. And I didn't have a lot of room um, or bandwidth to, to stress about things that I couldn't control. Um, you know, I tried to prepare mentally and physically before the event. Um, and then at that point, just, you know, enjoy the ride and keep moving um, and hope that I'm I'm able to finish and that um, I knew I wasn't going to quit, um, but I didn't know how much of a challenge it was going to be for me, you know, emotionally and mentally. And so that was what the interesting experiment for me. Um, and whether, you know, my my physical preparation would be adequate. I mean, I'm a, a middle-aged woman, you know, who's always struggling with fitness and, and, and weight. So for me, you know, I had a lot of help from uh, Steve McGill with uh, Thrash Motoko um, to help with some of the physical preparation and, and also the mental preparation and hydration. And, um, and just, you know, he was a very great uh, uh, cheerleader and helped me be accountable. Um, and so I, you know, I attribute a lot of that to him, but definitely, you know, reading about other people and how they handle that, you know, type of anxiety was really, really helpful for me, um, and prepared me uh, mentally for the, uh, the experience. Yeah, I absolutely hear you on the aspect of reading the books and the coaching books. Um, I'm all about that. And I've heard oftentimes that athletes have anxiety the night before, night before the race, night before the event. But um, I actually haven't considered a long-term effect of that anxiety. And the curious thing that I always like to think about is the fact that in our brain, the signature for fear and signature for excitement are exactly the same. So we can yeah. reframe and bounce be between the two. We're anxious or we, we're, we're excited, which is the similar thing. And so I wonder if there was any of the anxiety that transferred over to the actual ride itself. Um, so there was definitely uh, anxiety, but um, so my, my mental approach to the ride, uh, I, I realized I couldn't look at it in its entirety ever because it's too overwhelming. Um, I had to look at it and I kind of broke it down to one one checkpoint at a time. And then even within like some of those checkpoints were three to four hours of riding away from one another. So um, you can't maintain that heightened excitability for that period of time without fatiguing yourself. Um, and so I tried to break it down into small manageable chunks and um, and something else, too. I'm a, um, you know, a. a Sort of a fan of i used to think about um you know thinking about performance and and winning and you know that type of thing and and then i was um you know i i really enjoyed ben bergeron's book um he's a, a crossfit uh athlete trainer one of the best in the world um and he encouraged his athletes to um to do their best and that doesn't i mean you you may be the winner on the day you may achieve your goal on the day but if you give it a hundred percent 
then that's all you can do. So the result shouldn't matter. It's the the effort involved. Um, and then there's also another uh, great book um, with winning in mind by uh, Lani Bishan. Um, who's actually a, a target shooter. I mean, it's an older book, but uh, um, it's really excellent because it talks about not, again, thinking about winning and the, the pressure of, of, of that win or uh, the, the end result. It's about um, doing a winning performance. So for me, it's like, um, you know, all I can do is my best. I need to 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 try and mit uh, mitigate any risk when it comes to riding. I don't want to have to pick up my bike a lot. I don't want to be injured. Um, I need to, if I have to stop and look at my line selection to pick the the best line choice to conserve energy that way. I need to do that um, and not think about the the end result. Think about each step of the way. And otherwise, it's um, you know, it's. It's the enormity of that undertaking is crazy when you think about it. And um, by doing that, I feel that I was able to maintain my focus and energy for the whole 24 hours. Um, and that helped immensely. That is actually a really good strategy to shorten the timeline. And it's been suggested by multiple people. Whenever we're facing something so difficult that we can't bear to think about it, we got to shorten the timeline to the smallest chunk that we can deal with. Maybe it's a day, maybe it's a week, maybe it's an hour, maybe it's 100 kilometers. So in this case, it uh, seems like a perfect example of that technique to shorten the timeline, to not make it um, too too overwhelming. And so my, my question to that is, did you notice any shifts of the focus throughout the day, even though you were using that technique of breaking down the things uh, that into chunks? Was there a noticeable lower lows or highs of the focus? Um, of course, there there were. I think because you can't, it's hard to maintain. And I think the other riders that you've interviewed have said the same thing. It's you know, it's virtually impossible to maintain that level of focus the whole time. I will say though, thanks to Lee and how challenging he made the the silver class for me, um, I you have to stay focused. There's not a lot of options, right? Like I was I was really surprised at how the the mental clarity that I had for I would say like the first 15 hours. I I felt amazing. I of energy. Um, I'm very lucky uh, for whatever reason that I don't get arm pump a lot when I ride. I'm very soft with my my hands. Um, so I had initial anxiety um, at 3 a.m. when I woke and started the event um, and riding in the dark first thing and also combining that with navigating with my GPS. Um, that was uh, a lot of stress for me right off the bat. But, you know, this time of year by six o'clock in the morning there the light was was there and so you feel this this uh energy come with that um and i would say that i felt like a hundred percent for at least the first 15 hours um and so and part of that mental prep was that um and maybe the reason why i do these these or i find these hard things to do for myself is because um, you know, I'm I'm okay being uncomfortable, um, whether it's you know fatigue or or hunger. Um, although I'm not often hungry, um, or you know just I you know I've I've been fortunate to be involved in lots of sports. You know, get injuries. There's pain. You know, I'm I'm over 50 years old, so my my joints hurt. And um, so it being able to push yourself and be comfortable with being uncomfortable um, is important. So. For me, I, I there wasn't an option to stop. There wasn't an option not to finish this event. Um, I knew I had to do all the miles, so there's no point in thinking about how many miles those were. 
Um, so for me, um, I had lots of energy for the majority of the day. I hydrated really well, too well. I had to stop and pee so many times. <laughs> it wasn't funny, but rather that than, than dehydrate. Um, you know, I was able to eat, although you don't have a lot of appetite. I didn't have a lot of appetite when you're riding like that. Um, but I had, you know, the right mixture of food, though there was a lot of luck involved. The weather was cooperative it was amazing you know there were water holes that that one very early in the morning in the dark that Etienne was talking about and I think I actually passed him in that hole um, he told me to stick to the right and I appreciate him doing that um, but uh, so that was intimidating but uh, um, but all in all the trails were amazing and so all the conditions contrived to make it um, as as good as it could be. And then I was very lucky with how I, I felt. Um, and I would say, though, that shift, though, that happened in attention and focus. Um, and I kind of started to let the some fear and anxiety creep in. Um, after we'd gone through the section that takes you through Algonquin, um, there is a section that's quite difficult with a really sketchy bridge crossing. Um, you actually ride, should ride the rocks to the left of the bridge. Um, and I, I struggled with that section. And there was a lot of discussion with Ian before I started that that leg um, that it's, you know, it's dark again at this point. It's late. I think it was probably after midnight by this point. Um, and that, you know, I was, he was concerned for me and my safety going through that section. And I finally, you know, said, okay, you know what, I need to get moving and I'm just gonna do it. <laughs> and I did. And, but that was kind of a point where my attitude shifted for a while. And if there was gonna be um, a point where I was questioning myself or my ability to finish, that's the point at which it came. Um, and I actually ended up getting stuck at that, that point. Um, I, I came in and didn't, I ignored my own advice about, you know, stopping and looking at obstacles, you know, picking the right line. And I made a, a mistake where I came in um, to the right of that bridge and I, and I kind of went into the water and got my wheel stuck in the bridge. And I thought, that's it, my event is over at this point. And um, so I had to manage that. And it was really interesting. I, I, you know, I stopped, I took a breath or three, and uh, and then I I had to kind of problem solve and figure out how I could get my bike unstuck on my own, turn myself around in that water. And I was back up on the bank. I was able to um, stop and go walk to the left and discovered, yes, there's a big rocky section, but the rocks are not hard to ride. And once I got through that, that turned that negative attitude around again for me. Um, so I found that was probably sort of the darkest period of the ride, but it was, it was short. And at that point, it's like, I'm doing this. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, that was probably the, the most challenging moment or minutes for me uh, in that ride was at that point. So. That sounds fascinating because the way that I think about it, when we faced with a challenge, neurobiologically, if we are actually say yes to that challenge, we produce more dopamine. So it's almost like you had to have this challenge happen in order to give you a second win to finish off the, the rest of the event. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah, there were a couple of pivotal moments. And I remember when we had our lunch stop, which for me was at like 4.30 in the afternoon um, at Sunny Hill Resort. Um, I have been lucky enough uh, to spend a bit of time riding those trails there. And they're, they're really challenging. And because uh, we've done all the the OVR events uh, that they put on, um, and so I was excited 
to ride that because it's like, oh, I finally, this isn't going to be a surprise. I, I, I know these trails and I, I know how hard they are. I um, mean, at the same time, it was daunting because I'd never ridden them alone. And I know where the, the sticking points are for me on all those trails and where I've, I've struggled sometimes in the past to get through. Um, so I was both excited and, and anxious about that. And so Ian said that he would meet me um, after I got through the, the first little section of single track at Sunny Hill. And I remember riding it. And honestly, it was like the best I've ever ridden it. And I, and again, conditions were dry. That makes a big difference for traction, especially on Silent Hill, which is quite a, a steep, uh, slippery downhill. And I managed to get through all of it. There were a couple of points where I had, I came to a stop on a hill, but I, I was able to get myself going again. And I was so energized and ecstatic and proud of myself. And I come out of the woods and there's Ian and I'm just like bouncing on my bike. I'm so excited. And, you know, he says, well done, great. You know, I'm going to go meet you at the next checkpoint and off I go. And this is the the checkpoint that's, you know, where they have the cutoff and it's, it's after five o'clock and probably closer to six at this point anyway. And then I thought I was done with the Sunny Hill stuff at that point, and I was so happy. And then they sent us in to this whole new hill section that I had ridden only once the last time I was there, and it's hard. And so all of a sudden, that energy that I had went plummeting again, and I was no longer thrilled with myself. Um, and I thought, oh, this is gonna be tough. So. I would say from that point on, there were more ups and downs and more variation in my mood and my energy for the remainder of that that ride. So from you know five or six o'clock onwards, I felt that the event now felt more like a race and it was a race against time for sure and a race against um, myself. Um, you know, so the first two thirds, it was all amazing, but the first two thirds, I felt like a million bucks. And then I started to have to to more manage my, my energy and my resources for the last third of the ride. Yeah. It's fascinating how everything about this experience or majority of it was all mindset for everybody that I talked to so far. Mindset is the key, how we perceive things, how we think about the challenges, how we're going to approach something, how we view the long-term effect of it. It's, it's just fascinating how so much of it is just in our heads. Yeah. I would say like, obviously you need a, a baseline of, of, physical preparedness. Um, and I, I think as some of the other riders have said, like, you're never going to be completely ready. Um, and, you know, and I, I struggle with consistency when it comes to that. So, um, so that's always a, a goal or a work in progress for me. Um, but I also knew like, I've done a lot of longer rides this season, and we've done a lot of events um, back to back on Saturdays and Sundays. So I had ridden, you know, 15, 16 hours over those two days, and much like training for a marathon, you know, you don't run a marathon to train for a marathon, you prepare, you know, and, and build up your endurance. So I knew I had a, an adequate base of that. But I also knew that it was that I would say at least 75% of it, if not, maybe even 90% is mental. And our bodies can do amazing things. Um, but it's our brain that interferes with that. And that is the, the limiter for that. So if I could um, manage the the mental strategy for this. And, and that was my test because I, I didn't know. I didn't know if I could do it or not. I didn't know how hard it would be for me because um, everybody's perception and experience is different. So, but I would agree with you. It's, it's mostly a mental challenge more than a physical one. Yeah. And physically also, I, I suspect 
that because of those fluctuations and focus and energy level and those exciting moments, there's constant addition of endorphins that happens throughout the ride that probably dulls down the pain enough for the journey to continue. Yes. And it's, I mean, so I, I have joint pain. I mean, I, I wake up with it and, but again, I'm, I'm also, I have a high tolerance for that. And, you know, you just, I know it's not, um, um, a, a danger to me. It's not an injury. It's just, you know, older joints that get used a lot. So I, my concerns were, uh, my, my right knee, um, especially when I sit a lot on my dirt bike gets quite uncomfortable. So I typically stand all the time when I ride. Um, I knew I couldn't do that though, for this event. So, um, that I, I, I was concerned about and it actually proved to be, it, it worked out really great. Um, my, you know, my hands can get sore again, joint pain, not muscular pain. But, um, I chose not to change, um, my outfit cause I was feeling quite comfortable. So I didn't actually change my, my gear the entire ride. Um, but making sure that there was no rubbing or chafing, um, that type of thing was really critical. Cause if you get that little nagging, you know, injury or, or pain point, it can ruin your entire ride. So, um, everything worked out quite well in that regard. And, uh, uh, yeah, so physically it wasn't, it wasn't a huge, it, I shouldn't say that it was hard, <laughs> but it was the mental challenge more than, more than anything. Yeah, it's true. Sometimes the bodies give us those, those pains and issues that really affect, but it, it's great to know that for this specific thing, it worked. And um, my next question would be around the nature itself, because the whole ride was done through the most beautiful scenery in Ontario. And what was it like? So we have these discomforts in our body, we have anxiety and uh, high moments and low moments in our mind. But at the same time, you are watching the most beautiful nature open up in front of you. What was it like to see con consistent changes that that gets better and better from what I hear from others? Yeah, it's beautiful and it is invigorating as well. Um, uh, you know, the dawn was beautiful. I um, I remember once I was able to turn my lights off in the morning um, and the sun started to come up. Um, we were in a section where there were a lot of birch trees and the sunlight coming through the birch trees was absolutely stunning. And I kept you know, coming around corners and seeing this beautiful tableau and thinking, oh, I've got to stop and take a picture. And then it's like, no, I got to keep going because I don't have time. And then, oh no, here's another beautiful picture. And I ended up missing all of those beautiful pictures, but I, I have the experience to remember. Um, and I also don't know, I assume with road riding that you experience this where you go through, you know, valleys and, and where the temperature changes, or you are riding through an area with, um, you know, a plant that smells. So like there were patches where we rode through and you smell these wild herbs um and so there's a lot of you're very uh involved in in your environment when you're riding your your dirt bike and so enough to jar you out of your your focus and 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 take in the scenery um and then at nighttime again um i couldn't believe the wildlife there were deer that i encountered there were so many bunnies 
like families of bunnies. <laughs> and of course, you don't want to kill any of them while you're, you're riding. So you slow down. And then at one point, I come around a corner and I thought it was a skunk. All I see is this black and, and white, but thankfully it was a, a porcupine. And I chased this guy down the trail and he wouldn't, you know, veer off the trail. So I had to slow down. And his butt's, you know, wobbling as he's, I've never seen a porcupine run so fast. And he's waddling along. And anyway, he finally, you know, and, but I mean, that was at a pretty dark stage. That was shortly after that bridge incident. And, uh, and it just, it lifts you up and it, it, you know, it just makes you, it makes you realize how small a cog you are in all of the nature that's around you. Um, but how blessed you are to be part of that. So, yeah. And I got to experience those things. Who else can say they, they did that except for the other, you know, entrance at the Dacre this year. So <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I totally hear you on the aspect of going through different uh, scenery and different smells. Like the smells when I ride is the biggest thing that I love the most. Sometimes you go through the forest and you just smell everything. And because you're going faster than walking, it's almost like all that smell is being pushed into you, into your helmet. It's it's the most beautiful experience. And I also know because from experience, I take photos. And when I take photos, I don't usually, I'm not able to appreciate the scenery as much. And mm -hmm. so it's almost like I'm glad that when I'm on the bike, I can't take the photos because if I did, I wouldn't absorb it. So I actually stopped trying to take the photos of everything because they never turn out as well anyway from the photo. And I try to remember by looking at things when I ride and especially the big sky and the light way changes. It is, mm -hmm. it, it's really quite uh, un unbelievable what we can do. And I keep reminding myself that we're so fortunate and lucky to have machines to get us so far into the nature on such a short to short notice on such a short amount of time and allows to see mm -hmm. so much at once. Yep. No, for sure. Um, having said that, uh, there were a lot of eyes in the dark that your helmet lights reflect off of, and you don't ever see what those eyes are attached to. Um, that was a little creepy at times. And Ian mentioned to me again around the Algonquin area that uh, he was listening to wolves howling um, for a good, you know, 30 minutes. Yep. At, you know, while he was waiting for me to show up. So there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, my mother had said, you're going to bring bear spray, aren't you? Um, so I had looked into that, but I, I actually cheap. I was, you know, it was expensive. It's like 50 bucks. And I'm figuring I'm not going to be able to activate it unless I wear it on my person um, if I encounter a bear. And uh, by the time I fumbled for it, I probably crashed my my dirt bike. And so I opted not to do that. But there was definitely, um, you know, in the middle of the night in some of those areas, you're a little concerned about what you might encounter on the trail. So, uh, but luckily nothing that would, you know, that would eat me. So yeah, I lucked out. <laughs> that's pretty great. Well, that's exactly what Lee said. If you don't make it by seven o'clock to that checkpoints, there are bears and wolves and who knows what else in the forest. So I was a little worried for all the riders and drivers who came in late after midnight. So it's great to hear that, <laughs> that things worked out well for you. And so kind of uh, one of the other bigger questions that I have is how did you perceive creativity being used on that ride from the start to the finish and different sections like what does creativity mean for you when you're riding? Um, I think I thought a little bit about this because I had an opportunity to hear what the what Etienne and uh, um, uh, I'm sorry I'm forgetting the name of the other rider Pat. off the top of my head Pat right Pat. Um, sorry it Pat. Was Pat 
um, what they answered for this because um, I think for me it's there's two things uh, creative problem solving. Um, you know, there were a few times where I did get stuck. Um, there was one time where I I second guessed my my instinct and I actually I thought this can't possibly be the trail that I'm supposed to take because it isn't actually a trail. Thank you, Lee. Um, and I ended up <laughs> going through the woods. And and one of the challenges um, with the GPS is that if there's a lot of uh, coverage or foliage, it doesn't always um uh, you know, reconcile right away. So sometimes you start down a path and then you realize that you're on the wrong path or it doesn't, uh, it doesn't pick up, um, the, that you're following. So, um, I went in circles. So it's, it's, it's that, that creative problem solving and how do you, how do you fix that? Or when I, I did come off my bike, I had a few crashes. Um, you know, I got stuck a couple of times, like with the bridge and how do I solve that problem? Um, so that's very much, um, like mental gymnastics and physical gymnastics. And so I think there's a level of creativity with that. Um, the other aspect though, that I feel is the, the creative component is the spontaneity and that you have to be so present and in the moment. And I think that's why, why most of us ride is because of that. You haven't got any extra brain power to think about, you know, your job or the stuff that's stressing you out at home. You have to be so focused on the terrain um, and what you're doing um, and looking ahead and, and, you know, picking the right line choice that I feel that that's the creative aspect of it for me um, is allowing yourself to be in that moment and be spontaneous and, um, and reactive to, to your environment um, and not fight the environment, right? And so that to me is requires some uh, creativity um, and that, and it's wonderful. I mean, it's a fantastic feeling. So um, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so much of our creativity depends on how we see things. And uh, if we have certain amount of information to be creative with, because I always think that you can be creative if you have enough, like, let's say you can, you can be creative with art if you have enough art media, enough crayons or enough paints. If you don't have enough, you have to be, get creative creating those supplies. So it's very interesting. And so the next question out of that, have you noticed if there are any lasting effects of that creativity or that approach that you can take from the trail to your everyday life? I would say the one thing that's sort of been apparent to me since this event is, um, you know, you go through the phase where you just, you're, I was a little in awe of the whole thing. It took a, a while, a few days to process the accomplishment to, to really understand what I had done and how it had affected me. Because when you're also in the moment, you're not, you're not processing that or you're, you're living it and you don't understand sort of the longer term implications of it. So it took me a while to, to, to feel that. Um, and I think it's that you have to, at some point when you're out there riding, especially by yourself, you just have to relinquish yourself and say, there's nothing more I can do and control other than what I'm doing now and just relinquish yourself to the experience. And so that I feel has, has lasted. Um, and, you know, I don't feel as stressed and maybe it's because I'm not worrying about riding the Dacre anymore. <laughs> um, but I would say that's the only, you know, after I had, I had physically recovered, which for that, the Dacre for that first event didn't take a long time, which was awesome. Um, my recovery from the Northeast 24 hour race was longer. Um, but the only thing that I'm feeling now is 
I've gotten to that point. It's like, what do I do now? <laughs> What's the next challenge? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and how can I do something like this again and still keep my relationship with Ian? <laughs> you know, what's, what's, what's the next big test? Cause you know, the reason I wanted to do this is because I don't know if I can. And there are things like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a white woman living in Canada, North America. I'm probably, you know, as, as privileged as, as one can be. And, um, and so I, I need these challenges to, to test myself and see, you know, am, am I really mentally strong? Am I, you know, able to do this? And, and so I am definitely driven and motivated by things like that. So there's also that, that, that depression that comes when you come back from vacation. It's the same thing. It's like, okay, I've been so focused on this for, for so long that now I'm depressed because I don't, I don't have another goal. I mean, there's events, the corduroy enduro is a pretty challenging event. You know, there's some great women's rides that I'm going to do and, you know, trips down to Pennsylvania, that kind of thing. But it's not the same as having uh, a, a challenge where I, you know, I learn something about myself uh, in, in, in a, in a challenging way. Yeah. I, I really love that you mentioned the, the relinquishing control because that speaks to me of surrender, surrendering to the spirit, to the universe, to the nature, whatever. And it definitely, definitely helps in our everyday life because it reduces the importance of things. And when you reduce importance, you're much more connected to things and you're much more able to accomplish whatever the goals they're set. And it's funny you mentioned depression because astronauts were found to have this strong depression after they come back from space, after seeing all that and the earth from the space and they come back and and couldn't really deal with that. And the same with Olympic athletes. And mm -hmm. uh, in my research, I know that when our highs are too high, the lows become too low. So the challenge mm -hmm. then becomes, well, how can we manage that high so it doesn't get too much? So that after mm -hmm. the end of the event, the low doesn't get to the critical point. And that, that is kind of one of the biggest challenges that I see that all athletes, uh, endurance athletes and whatnot, have to deal with so that they can maintain their um, performance, their creativity, their focus, and everything else like that. And mm -hmm. um, that is that's very critical. And um, so in closing, I guess this is so much information here. And I hope that listeners are really going to get a glimpse of what it's like to participate in that kind of event. And so if you had to have a mess if you have a message of some sort for those who ride or those who maybe don't ride and never thought about that just in general and even to women who might not be even thinking that it be, might be possible for them what would be your message in general so if i can do it anybody can do it there is nothing special about me um I, I don't have natural dirt biking talent. Um, I may have some natural balance and athletic ability from you know a lifetime of doing sports, but I'm, I'm not, um, uh, I have to work hard to develop my skills. It doesn't come, come easy to me. Um, and so if for me, um, I would encourage people to don't wait until everything is aligned and it's perfect because that will never come. Do do what you need to do to prepare and be safe and to give yourself the best chance at success, but don't put it off. You know, you don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. And if you allow fear or, or the, 
the challenge or the the difficulty uh, for entry into a sport like this. And there's a lot of obstacles with dirt biking. It's expensive. There's not a ton of women doing it more now, which is amazing. Um, don't let that deter you if you really feel that it's something that you can be passionate about. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of women that ask me about racing, you know, and they're, yep, I'm, you know, I want to race next year or the year after, and I need to practice. I, it's like, yeah, but go do it. Like we're in Ontario. We're not in the U S where you've got the, you know, a thousand people showing up for a club race. Right. It's like, don't put off those opportunities. Um, the Dacre is a bigger deal. I think it's a, a requires a lot more commitment. Um, but you know, I, I think I'm the first woman to have soloed it, which is great. That's also something that, that motivated me to, to try it, but I know other women have done it, or maybe we could see a women's team, uh, one of these years, that would be amazing. Um, but don't let the enormity and, um, you know, the size of that goal puts you off from starting. Um, you just go, go start, go try it. Um, because like I said, I'm not, I'm not special. It just takes some drive and, and work and anybody can do this and it's worth it because it's an amazing sport and an amazing community. Um, yeah, I don't know what I would do if I'd never discovered dirt biking. <laughs> Life would be far less exciting than it is. That's for sure. <laughs> so yeah. get out there and ride and and leave leave the road. No offense to road riders, but it's the trails are a whole different thing and you know, dirt biking and enduro riding is just a, a different experience and uh so I would really encourage someone to to try it for sure. Yeah, it's a beautiful message. And uh, what I discovered observing that event is that it wasn't so much about being trying to be the best in the class, even though people were uh, aspiring to finish in their class at the top. But overall, it was all about the experience, all about internal growth and development that happens on the trail when nobody sees what you're doing. It was all about personal development really and at the end when people came it doesn't it didn't really matter what place they came in mm -hmm. first of all everybody was greeted equally and second of all the amount of change that has happened in the person after that event did not really matter which place they finished as long as they finished and even though who didn't those who didn't quite finish they still uh, felt that accomplishment of doing that and I think it's important I think it's important on many levels for us as humans to develop in this area which includes community which is great community great shout out to Rally Connects Lee Martin Valley yeah. Rally Enduro those people really brought others together so there's that aspect and there's a creativity aspect which keeps in, in evolving when you're spending so much time in nature and then there's of course the focus and physical um athletic performance so all of that together i think it's very important for people to participate in in things like that and it's interesting that you talk about you know like i didn't uh i, I you don't know who's attending either right so um there there weren't as many bike riders as I thought there would be this year. And I think it's a little bit different. And each year there's there's going to be, you know, more interest or less. I know there were a lot of side by sides and that was interesting riding with them as well. Um, but what I my only goal was to to finish this event. Um, and I didn't know if I could. And so and I also learned in the journey and, and what I really took away from this is that even if I, I would have been disappointed if I hadn't have finished, but I, it was the first time ever that I have given what I like a hundred percent, like there was, 
I would have I would have been disappointed if I hadn't have finished, but I also couldn't have done anything differently than I did. And there's um there's a like uh, like you said there's um you you there's an acceptance there that I have done all I can do to to be successful in this event and um it doesn't detract from that if I if I don't finish at that point because I couldn't have done anything different. I just I just wasn't it wasn't enough that day, but I was very lucky that it was enough just. <laughs> um, so I would say to people, whether you know you finished or didn't finish, um, for those that are, are gonna try it for the first time next year, um, you just, if you do all you can do and you give 100%, and this is true in life as well, it, it there's nothing more you can ask of yourself. And there's almost um, uh, like a serenity that comes with that, that I hadn't felt before. So that's something that I want to try and recreate again. <laughs> and so, you know, I need to find another challenge and, you know, where you can test yourself and 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 learn more about yourself. And there's very few events like that though here in Ontario. So, you know, please Lee keep keep putting on these amazing events because they really are something very special happened at the Dacre this year for for everybody, um individually and as a collective as well. It's it's a really special event. Yeah, I agree. And I was so fortunate to be at the very first, uh, that was my very first Daker event and it, it turned out amazing. And to hear you say that there was something special going on, it definitely was. And I come from the background of motorsports on the road racing course. And I know what kind of uh, pressures and challenges people deal with there. And the disappointment of not finishing the way that they expected to finish is much greater which I completely did not see at this event. When there is no competition and you're competing mm -hmm. only with yourself, it completely changes the game. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. And, you know, and I, I don't, I don't know if there are other events like that around and, and, um, I know you're trying to wrap it up, but I always have too much to say. Um, it was very different though, than the, the next 24 hour event I did. That was very much more a race. And it it wasn't a point to point. It was laps of a, a ten mile uh, course, and it was very different and and challenging in a different way. And so there is something like, that you just mentioned that uh, you know something magical happens when you're just out there riding for you and and by yourself, and and not look like it's it's a competition. Don't get me wrong. I'm always competitive. I always want to do well. But you know, I didn't even I wasn't even thinking about winning anything, right? The win for me was just finishing. Um, but it's, you know, having people that just the amount of effort that went into this event. And I have to thank everybody. You know, when I came in at 4 a.m., I was expecting to come in, be there with Ian, and then go to my van and try and sleep. But everybody was still up and you guys just made it amazing coming in at four o'clock in the morning and having some you know people there to cheer you um that was awesome so thank you i know you were one of them and thanks to the rest of the crew for for staying up and uh, and being there to help me across the finish line yeah i was barely awake but i had to jump out and uh, come and meet you because it was like the last person and it was very exciting yep. and yeah. uh well, we still have a little bit of time. So let's briefly look at the comparison between your event that was after and the Dacre. What was the biggest uh, difference that you saw? Um, I don't like to do laps. I don't, I, I like to to have new new territory. So the advantage of riding laps is that you you become familiar with the course so you know what to expect. Um, there were probably a thousand 
riders at this event. Um, a lot of them are teams. So at any one point in time, there's probably 300 riders on the course. Um, it was very dry and it was a new location. This is the third time I've, I've done this race. Um, and uh, it was so dry and dusty that during the day and at night, um, visibility was zero when people passed you. And so you have team riders that are fresh. They're riding a couple of laps as fast as they can and they hand off to the next competitor, um, like their, their teammate. Um, and then you have the solo riders that are, you know, they're riding continuously. And so, um, you know, I'm not moving as fast as these team riders, obviously. And so, you know, they go by you at hundred miles an hour and you, I had to stop sometimes because I just couldn't see through the dust. And at night that became really sketchy and quite scary for me personally. So I did a couple of night laps and then, you know, I said, I need to take a break here because I'm going to injure myself or go off course or have a problem. Um, so I don't know, a lot of respect to those riders that kept going, you know, through those types of conditions, because I don't know how they, they could see. And I had, you know, like yellow coated lights to make it easier to see in the dust and I couldn't see anything. Um, so it was just, it's a very different mindset. It's, it's, you know, however many laps you can complete in a 24 hour period, you can come and pit as often as you like. So, you know, I could, I would try and ride two or three laps before I'd come in um, and pit. You can rest if you want to. Um, so, but you're moving a lot faster. So I was riding at at more of a race pace and it, it felt like a like a 24 hour cross country um, race as opposed to um, uh, the Dacre, which was just, it was just much more pleasant at the Dacre. The scenery is better, <laughs> um, you know, you're, it's fresh scenery all the time. So you're, you don't know what you're about to get when it comes to trails. Um, whereas this, you know, oh yeah, that creek bed, it got me last time or this hill climb is, is, is really challenging. And, you know, I've got, a, it's coming up and you, you'd learn the course. So you'd know where those, those, those pain points are in the course. And keeping in mind too, that every time 300 riders have done a lap, the course degrades quite quickly as well. So the ruts become deeper. And so it was, um, the terrain isn't super challenging, but those factors make it more challenging as the race wears on. Um, you definitely feel pushed to ride fast. Um, and I, the recovery for me after the race was done, um, I, I had much more discomfort. My, uh, you know, my muscles were much sore. Um, and I think it's because I was traveling faster and there were, you know, a lot of steep downhills and uphills, um, you know, and you're just pushing. So it was a very, it's, it's, ter it's not the terrain that I enjoy. It's not the format of racing that I enjoy. Having said that, it's one of the greatest events. Um, the, the camaraderie, the, the, the atmosphere in the pits is amazing. Um, you know, you see a lot of the same people and you see people you haven't seen in many years, especially because of COVID. Um, it had been a few years since I was able to go. So there's a lot of um, camaraderie and community around this event. So I would highly recommend it to people um, if they want to try it. And because it's a closed course, um, it's a good way to kind of dip your feet into longer endurance riding um, because you can ride as little or as much as you like. Um, but it's definitely a dip different format that, you know, impacted. Um, and I, I didn't enjoy the ride nearly as much as I enjoyed the Dacre. Um, and it was physically, um, it, it had took a bigger toll. And maybe that's because it was, you know, less than a week later, maybe I hadn't fully recovered from, from the Dacre, um, but I did feel good going into it. Um, and I felt great, um, you know, until the afternoon, you start at 10 AM. So you start in daylight and then you ride a longer like night section. Um, but, uh, but yeah, very different events, very different events. And what's the name of it? And how many kilometers was that second event? 
it's called the Northeast 24 Hour Challenge. And um, it uh, it takes place in, in New York. Uh, this new location is in Odessa. So it's only about four and a half hours from Toronto, which is great. Um, and so it was about a 10 mile uh, loop and you ride it as many times as you can. So basically um, I did 16 laps in that time. Um, and so it was about 160 miles. So again, not as, as long a distance either, but um, physically that was that was I felt it was more challenging uh, for those reasons um, and uh, and mentally you get bored you get you know it's it's mind-numbing sometimes <laughs> and uh, you know I, one of the riders uh, there were a couple of amazing iron women that just they're they're just hardcore and I I have the utmost respect one of them is Aaron Harper who's a Canadian and you know has has raced with with me in Canada before and uh, um, and then uh, Mallory Eberhart was uh, the winner of the event and and these women just at one point one of them said uh, you know posted um, I think a video of herself and she said, you know, this is what a zombie looks like, <laughs> you know, riding a dirt bike and it must have been probably at four or five in the morning and, uh, you know, because it's just you're doing the same thing over and over again. So I find for me, psychologically, that is much more torturous than riding into the unknown and point to point like at the Dacre. Um, it's just, yeah. So just for me and my personality, it's not as it wasn't as um, enjoyable an event, um, but I'm very glad I did it. And uh, I probably won't be doing it again for a while. Although I would love to take a, a women's, a Canadian women's team there one year um, and, and, and ride with a Canadian team, but uh, we'll see. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, no, that's uh, absolutely that the difference between always having a new terrain and nothing that ever repeats versus something that is similar is quite different. And the approach would be quite different to that. So it's mm -hmm. interesting to consider the comparison. Mm -hmm. So, no, the, thank you so much for all of this experiential sharing of the experiential knowledge. It is um, so wonderful to hear all of those observations and thoughts and ideas that come out of it. It's just thought, food for thought for weeks after. So <laughs> I hope the listeners got lots out of this. And thank you once again, um, Lee Martin and uh, Rally Connects and Valley Rally Enduro and everybody who was participating and supporting this event. It was great. And um, hopefully you all enjoyed that. And we'll see you next time. Bye.